0: Thank you, Cliff. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be primarily in Matthew chapter one, uh, verse twenty-one. Before we do that, I will read from Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, uh, which is the verse that we've been staying in this entire Advent season, leading up to this Christmas Day today. So, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, and then Matthew one twenty-one, where we'll be for today's sermon. <clears throat> For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I like it when names tell you exactly what to expect. When once you hear the name of something, you know exactly what you're going to get. A good descriptive name is hard to beat. When I lived in Fayetteville during college, uh, going to school at the U of A, my favorite Chinese restaurant in town was called Asian Chinese Restaurant. And boy, wasn't it an Asian Chinese restaurant. It had the best fried rice noodles, and orange chicken I have ever had in my entire life. It has ruined me for all other Chinese restaurants. The Asian Chinese restaurant was the best Chinese restaurant I have ever had. And every time I told someone, you've got to go get your food at the Asian Chinese restaurant, they would say, which one? What do you mean? I have to go to the Asian Chinese restaurant? Which one isn't an Asian Chinese restaurant? By being a Chinese restaurant, it is an Asian restaurant. It serves Asian Chinese food. Every time I had to explain them what the, the name of this place was, they say, is that really what it's called? Doesn't it have another name? I said, no. Look, Google it. It's the Asian-Chinese restaurant. The name was so descriptive, so perfect, that it was surprising to everyone who heard it. We, over this Advent season, have been looking at the names of Jesus that were prophesied in Isaiah 9-6. That this child, this son who is to be born to the people of Israel, shall be called Wonderful Counselor should be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we've seen throughout the season, each week, that Jesus is each of these things. These titles fit him. They describe who he is. He's the fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah. And throughout his ministry, we've seen examples of him being the Wonderful Counselor, being the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But today... On this Christmas day, we're looking not so much at the titles that were given to Jesus, but how these titles actually serve to reveal his name, who he is. The eternal Son of God had no human name until he was born. And when he was born, he could have been named anything. They could have broken Jewish custom, they could have just called him Yahweh, Jehovah. They could have said the name that couldn't normally be spoken since he actually is Yahweh, God, in the flesh. But the angel told Mary, in Matthew chapter 1, to name him Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And we say Jesus because that's our English transliteration from the Greek. In Greek, it's Iesus, and we took that and moved it over into English. It's Jesus. But in the Greek, Iesus, that's transliterated from Yeshua, in the Hebrew. And if we were to take that from Hebrew straight to English, we would say Joshua. It literally means Yahweh saves. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, Yahweh saves. The angel said to call him Jesus, to call him literally Yahweh saves. But just as they transliterated Yahweh saves to get the name Jesus, they could have just as easily translated any of his other titles. Anything they wanted to give him his name. Wonderful counselor, wherever that is in the Hebrew. They could have moved that over into the Greek. Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. They could have taken any of the other names of God from the Old Testament. I am the God who sees anything. But that's not what happens. The angel coming to Mary tells her to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So, before we get any further this morning, allow me to point out that when Jesus is named, that name conveys both who he is and what he's here to do. Yahweh saves. So, in the birth of this baby boy, Yahweh, God is acting, he's saving. Whatever Jesus is going to do in his life, whoever he does grow up to be, he is doing those things. He is being that man so that God might accomplish his purposes through that life, through those actions. We know, as we've seen throughout this series, that Jesus isn't simply acting on behalf of Yahweh. Jesus actually is Yahweh acting. He is God acting. So when Jesus does what Jesus does, we're seeing God do those things in the flesh. And those things he's doing, the angel is telling us here, are ultimately done to save. When Jesus, who is God, is acting, he's acting to, to save his people from their sins. John three seventeen, the verse after the one that everyone knows, says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order, to the, order that the world might be saved through him. So the umbrella motivation, the the driving force and reason for everything that Jesus came to do on this earth, the central focus of the entire season we have been celebrating, which has culminated in this glorious Christmas day, is to save. That's why he came. Not to condemn, but to save. Not to save indiscriminately, but to save his people from their sins. Not to save only those we think he should save, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So follow with me here. If the reason he is who he is, is to save his people from their sins. Then he is also every one of these prophesied titles from Isaiah 9 that we've been looking at to save his people from their sins as well. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace to save his people From their sins. How does Him being the the wonderful counselor save His people from their sins? Well, we saw a few weeks ago that He is the wonderful counselor because His counsel and teaching, the wisdom with which He operates, is truly counsel that is wonderful. It's so wonderful in part because it's for everyone. As Jesus went around throughout His earthly ministry teaching, He went far and wide on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Spreading the good news of his gospel to all people. And the counsel, the teaching he was bringing them, is good. It's called the good news, the gospel, over and over. He came not only to accomplish that good news, but also to preach that good news. His teaching sent the message of salvation, his mission as God, to save his people from their sins to everyone who heard it. Have you ever wondered why there aren't many sad Christmas songs? There are a few. Every once in a while, you'll hear one. But most of them are happy. Most of them are upbeat. Most of them are kids' favorite songs. They're songs that we enjoy to sing. They're songs that make us happier when we hear them. And the reason for that is because Christmas inherently is a joyful and happy message. It's good news that's come into the world. The one who came into the world is good. So we sing out of joy because his teaching and his wisdom, which leads to the salvation of his people, is such good news. And as the wonderful counselor, he loves his people so well. He tells us what we need to hear in order that we might be saved. He tells us what we need to hear so that we might live our lives in response to his salvation. So we might live our lives in the joy which has been designed for those he has saved. Because he is the wonderful counselor, his people can be saved from their sins. But also because he's the mighty God, his people can be saved from their sins. We saw a few weeks ago that Jesus is the mighty God in fulfillment of Isaiah 9. He calmed the storm. He cast out the demons. He forgave sins. He healed the paralytic's legs in Matthew 8 and 9, revealing himself to be the mighty God. And now, today... We focus on how he is the mighty God in order to save his people from their sins. His might over nature shows that no power in the universe can rival his own power. Just as he can calm the storm, he can create it. He can control it. And now, even in this fallen world where nothing works quite the way it should, we can trust that the God who is mighty over nature can even redeem and fix nature itself. Even redeem and fix us as well. Romans 8, verses 19 through 21, which you'll be memorizing roughly in September this next year, says this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. If Jesus, the mighty God, is mighty even over nature, such that he can set it free from its bondage and futility due to sin, why would we not believe that he can also exercise that might, that same power, to save his people, to save us from our sins as well? Just as his might over nature should give us confidence in his power to save, so should his might over the spirits. Jesus went around throughout his ministry casting out demons so that we would know who the biggest and most powerful spirit truly is the one who's really in charge of the spiritual realm. But maybe the the easiest way we see his might, and the most direct way we know that Jesus is the mighty God to save his people from their sins, is because he actually does save his people from their sins. When Jesus saw the faith of the paralytic, the faith of his friends, the first thing he did, his first response, was to say, your sins have been forgiven. Really, it had all been building to that in the narrative that we read in Matthew 8 and 9. And we're seeing that there are no limits to Christ's power. So we should have full confidence that when he says the man's sins are forgiven, they actually are. When we see him calm the storm, our first thought, our first uh, thing that pops into our head should be, I can't wait to see what he does with with sins. If that's what he does with a storm, what is he going to do with sins? We should see him cast out the demons and think, I can't wait to see what he does with the evil in me. And then, at the first opportunity to see exactly what he does with sins, he shows us exactly what he does with sins. He forgives them. The first thing he does when he sees the man's faith is to forgive his sins. And it takes a mighty God to forgive the sins of his people, to save his people from their sins. So we shouldn't be shocked when his power extends even to our bodies. After forgiving the man's sins, Jesus also healed his legs. So now we can trust that he means it when he says in Revelation 21, 5, Behold, I am making all things new. The mighty God acts to save his people in Jesus Christ. And once we've been saved, we also receive the promise that he is making us new as well. He's making all things new, of which we are a part. He's glorifying us into his own image. It takes a mighty God to save his people from their sins. So God sent us Jesus Christ, the mighty God, to save his people from his sins. And in sending Christ, God sent us God. He is the everlasting Father to save his people from their sins. He and the Father are one. That's part of why he's called the Everlasting Father, as we saw a few weeks ago. And while the the specifics of that title, Everlasting Father, applied to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can get a little theologically messy. They can get a little theologically complicated. The reason Isaiah told us that the child to be born would be called the Everlasting Father is because this child, this Jesus, and the Father are one. We serve and worship one God. But just as God is able to save his people from their sins, because he is the one God, he is also able to save his people from their sins because he is God and man. He's the God man. To redeem man, he had to become man, to take on human flesh, human mind, human soul. He had to be like us in every way except for sin. So that he might save us in every way from sin. So the everlasting father sent us the God who is one with himself as a man to save us. And that adjective everlasting father assures us that the the God who saves us always has been the God who saves. He's not changing his mind. From everlasting to everlasting, he is the God who saves. He is the God who is always going to send Jesus Christ to save sinners. Before the creation of the world, he knew he would save sinners from their sins through Christ and his cross. So now, even 2,000 years later, we know that he will still save those who repent and believe. The promise that Jesus will save his people from their sins is still in effect. It will always be true. Because our God is the same God from everlasting to everlasting, from infinity to infinity. We needed the everlasting God to save us, so we were given Jesus to save us from our sins. And this Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor, who is the mighty God, who is the everlasting Father, has made peace for us and given that peace to us. He is the Prince of Peace to save his people from their sins. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, he's made peace between God and man. Where before we had no peace with God, we were at war with him. We were in rebellion from him because of our sin. We now have peace in the place of that warfare. Ephesians 2 verses 12 through 17 says this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Through the cross, through what Christ has done in his perfect life, his virgin birth, his sacrificial substitution on the cross. His glorious resurrection from the grave. His uh, eternal ascension into heaven. He has accomplished peace between God and man. And he has killed the hostility between God and man. And also between man and man. That's what we sing when we sing, O Holy Night. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. He has won the peace for us, and he has given it to us. This peace of his is not like the world's peace. It doesn't come to us in the same way that their peace does. It never fades. It never goes away, because it's given to us by the mighty and everlasting Father. It's founded on him, his character. So just as he never changes, neither does our peace change. Christ's peace, the peace of the Prince of Peace, is a gift handed to us by faith. It's not something we earn, not something we deserve for ourselves. We break our side of this peace every day. And yet, because he has declared peace because of the cross of Jesus, that peace is never broken. It's an imperishable gift which never gets exchanged. And what a comfort that should be to us. His peace should give us comfort. We hear those words all the time every Christmas. Comfort and joy. And this is a season of comfort and joy for all who recognize that it should be. But for those who have repented and believed, those who have received Christ's peace, every season is a season of comfort and joy for us. Every day is Christmas Day for us. Christ has come eternally and forever for us. And his coming is something that we don't simply celebrate this one day a year. It's something that we are appreciative for, that we honor God for, that we glorify him for every day. At the end of a Christmas carol, when uh, Ebenezer Scrooge comes about, when he makes his turn, when he repents from the life he used to live... He tells the ghost of Christmas yet to come that he will keep Christmas in his heart, not just one day, but every day. And I love that. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? This is Christmas Day. It is easy for us to say, yes, Tidings of comfort and joy, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, good, great wins lunch. It's easy to do that today. But on March 23rd, that day should still be a day when we say peace on earth, goodwill toward men, tidings of comfort and joy. For Christ has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That should be our Christmas message today and every day. That should be what we hear and receive every day. For us, for his people, peace is now the equilibrium of our lives. We are in a constant state of peace with God. So we have all comfort. So we have all joy. And without that peace, without peace between God and man, there's no comfort to be had, no joy to enjoy. So at all times, but especially today, this Christmas day, I hope that in the midst of everything that we do, we take a few moments to recognize the work of this Jesus who has come to save his people from their sins. He is a wonderful counselor to his people. He works to save as the mighty God. His plan of salvation is the plan of salvation from the everlasting father. And by his salvation, we enjoy the peace of the prince of peace. And when we understand the significance of these names given to Jesus, even maybe most importantly, the name itself, Jesus, Yahweh saves, we should be the most joyful people of all in this season. So here's what's about to happen. I'm going to read the Christmas story from Luke 2, and then we're going to sing joy to the world before our benediction in closing, before we head out into whatever the rest of our day has for us. But as we sing those words, joy to the world, The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. As we sing that song, let's remember why we have such joy. Let's sing like we're proclaiming that joy, which is the utmost joy and is available to all people everywhere because of this Christmas day. And then when we leave, every day, but especially today, let us be people who are marked by the joy that we're singing about. Let us be people of whom it is said that we knew how to keep Christmas in our hearts the whole year through. All because Jesus Christ has saved his people from their sins. And so, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Corinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. But thank you more than everything else. For the gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift we could ever receive, the greatest work that could ever be done. Thank you for sending us not a lackey, not a substitute, not an errand boy, but God Himself. Thank you for sending us the one who is the wonderful counselor to show us that which is true, to love us with His teaching. Thank you for sending us the mighty God with the power to save. The will and might to exercise that power to save his people. Thank you for sending us the everlasting Father, the one who is God, so that we know without a doubt that the one God we worship is the one God who has saved us. Thank you for sending us the Prince of Peace and through his work, making peace on behalf of his people to save us from our sins. Let this be a day devoted to that worship, to that focus, that in the midst of everything else we do, that we'll remember why we do the things we do on this day. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.